Central Alabama. The call three 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 nine excellent at three three four five six four one eight four zero. Want to hear from you? Whatever is on your mind, we'll talk about it in the sports world. Three three four three one thirteen nine. It's number all text line. If you're on the go and you just want to shoot us a quick text, three three four five six four one eight. In on the fence or out, we've been having a fun time playing this throughout the week. A trio of teams, a variation of start, bench, cut for us on this show. You know, that game that people play when they pull out three players and they say, all right, you get to start one, bench one, cut one. We change that for teams, and it's a way for us to project out here for the college football season. So what team are we all in on here out of this group? What team are we more on the fence on, and what team are we out on? And you may be in on all three of these teams, but you're going to have to make some tough decisions if that's the case. And this is a group right here that I think you can be in on a couple of these teams. I'm decisively out on one of them, but Utah, Arizona State, and Northwestern teams that are in and on the fringe of the top 25. They're actually all three just outside the top 25 here, actually all ranked in front of Auburn in terms of receiving votes. Lance, tell me about it. Yeah, I agree with you as far as that. I feel like I've got one decisive team here out of this bunch that I am out on, but the other two I kind of flip-flop back and forth. But here's how I here's how I ranked it. I am in on Arizona State. I am on the fence on Utah, and I am out on Northwestern. The reason for me being in on Arizona State is because they bring back 15 total starters. Jaden Daniels, or uh, yeah, Jaden Daniels has been incredibly solid for Arizona State through his first two seasons. As a freshman, I believe he threw it was 17 touchdowns to two interceptions. I believe he had, he was the best in the country in terms of freshman, like in terms of uh, his percentage of passes that were intercepted. He was not turnover prone at all, and he wasn't turnover prone last season. Five touchdowns to one interception. I believe it was through five games. And regardless, got those numbers. He threw for two. 2000- 1,943 yards, 17 touchdowns, and two picks as a freshman. Yeah. So regardless of NCAA issues, which I know Arizona State had a little bit of a uh, little bit of trouble this offseason, I think this team can still achieve getting that Pac-12 South title this season. I, I'm I'm very high on Arizona State. There's a fun race at the top of the Pac-12 South with Utah, Arizona State, and USC, all very tight. And honestly, I may like. Utah and Arizona State more than USC at this moment. Who am I kidding myself? I love this Utah team. I think this Utah team is going to be very good in the Pac-12. A similar type of year you could be looking at to the 2019 season that saw them go to the Pac-12 title game, saw them be an 11-3 football team, except I think they're a much better offensive team this go-around. 19 starters returned for this Utah football team. They have one of the better offensive lines. I shouldn't say one of the better. They have one of the best offensive lines and the Pac-12, they only gave up seven sacks last year in five games. That's a little old. That's barely over one sack a ball game. That's incredible. Running the football, they had their best total in yards per carry over the last seven years at 5.1 yards per carry. And oh, by the way, they return all five starters and their tight end on the offensive line. The offensive line is complete. Now they've imported the talent that they need at quarterback. Unfortunately, Local great Jake Bentley, he was not the answer at quarterback for Utah last year. This year, they bring in Charlie Brewer from Baylor, and over four years there, he almost has 10,000 passing yards. He's got 65 touchdowns to 28 interceptions. This is like Utah bringing in – this is equivalent of Utah bringing Jarrett Stidham like 
Auburn did in 2017, right? This is the type of thing that can elevate Utah from just being, you know, an eight-win middling team in the Pac-12 to elevating them to be a legitimate Pac-12 contender. And the thing that has been a staple for Utah over the Kyle Whittingham era, they have been just such a super consistent football team. They get good quarterback play. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They win the games that they should, and they really push the teams that maybe have more talent than them and a lot of times upset them. And that's how you end up getting these seasons where they go 11-3 and and push some of these really good teams on that schedule that year. I'm super impressed with this Utah football team. I think they have all the pieces to really surprise some folks in the Pac-12 this year, if not win the whole Pac-12 conference. I'm not saying they're a playoff team. Pac-12 probably gets left out of the playoff, but I like this Utah team a lot. There's a lot to like about Arizona State too, but I'm more on the fence with Arizona State because of those off-the-field issues that you bring up. I was going to ask you, did Utah have even a shot at the college football playoff? Because you talk about the piece, the the missing piece being being quarterback, and you talk about, well, they're bringing in a guy in Charlie Brewer that was pretty darn good at, at Baylor during his four years there. So no shot at the playoff whatsoever for Utah? I have a hard time, not not no shot. If you win a Power 5 conference and you go undefeated, you're going to be in the playoff. The problem is I don't think a single Pac-12 team goes undefeated this year, and that's been the problem over the last couple of years, right? Like all of these teams beat up on each other. They lose games that they shouldn't. You look at the 2019 Oregon team, they lose to Auburn, but they also lose a game in the regular season in Pac-12 play, and that was a game that they could not afford to lose after losing to Auburn in the season opener. They still fathomably could have gotten in, but the Pac-12 always ruins it for themselves by mid to late October, and you've already lost all of your contenders. You write them off more. You write them off first before every other conference, right? I think Utah's going to be a very good Pac-12 team, but does that get them to the college football playoff? Probably not. Now, it is a favorable schedule, and I think there are opportunities here. Look, the last time that we saw a Pac-12 team make the college football playoff, I'm trying to think, it would have been Washington, right? Right, in 2016. first college football playoffs that we had back in 2016. They had a great season. What, were they undefeated that year, I think? And then they ended up losing to to Alabama. If, If not, they were just one loss. I think looking at the Utah schedule, there's potential for that. But being a very good Pac-12 team does not exclude you from losing to sometimes middle of the pack Pac-12 schools. That has been the constant issue for that league and why I don't think that they can call themselves the Conference of Champions. Oh. And then talking about Northwestern, sorry to cut you off, Northwestern only returns eight guys. That's why I'm out. Northwestern returns eight guys on the entire football team. And sure, they were really good last year, but Northwestern does not recruit at the level that they need to to be able to reload when you only return eight players. Like I, I'm not certain that the other 13 guys that are stepping into starting roles, the other 14 guys, I'm not certain that those guys are going to be ready this year. Down the line, they'll be good, but this year, I'm not buying it. We'll come back. We'll keep talking about in on the fence or out. We'll take a look at Auburn, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss next. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. On the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Coming up in 30 minutes, we got a special guest, J.D. Byers, play-by-play announcer on the Jags radio network and also a host on the sports talk show, The Press Box. He'll be coming up at 3 p.m. Going to be looking forward to 
to talking to J.D. Byers. Once again, coming up at 3 p.m., he's going to give us an update on South Alabama as they go through fall camp. So we take a look at some of these other teams throughout the state, not just Auburn and Alabama. I'd love to throw some love to some of those other teams in South Alabama looking to continue and improve, and they bring in an interesting first-year head coach in Kane Womack from Indiana, the defensive coordinator at Indiana. And considering how good that defense was at IU, looking to see what steps forward South Alabama takes this year as their trajectory continues to ascend. Maybe they can get to a bowl game. But going back to our segment, in on the fence or out, trio of teams, you got to say that you're in on one. You got to say you're on the fence on the other. And then the last one, you got to choose one of these teams to be out on. Auburn, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. Take it away, Lance. Uh, this one, this one actually wasn't that difficult for me, and I, I, I assume that you have the same, uh, same list as I do. But I'm not. I'm just going to go ahead and run through mine. I am in on Auburn. I am on the fence on the Texas A&M Aggies, and I am out on Ole Miss. We've talked a lot about Ole Miss recently and about how early on in the offseason I was bullish on the Rebels. I was excited about their schedule and I was excited about that offense and and everything that they brought back and I was thinking, you know, this could potentially be a 10-win program if things go right for Ole Miss, but then I started digging into some of the numbers on the defensive side of the ball and you look at the production they've got bringing back. They've got quite a few guys coming back on that defense, but it was one of the worst in the country. Now you may also say that was simply because it was an all-SEC schedule. Give them some cupcake games and they're definitely going to even things out, at least statistically. I agree, but that does not... that does not necessarily change the fact that it was still a really bad defense last year, and I don't see them making a, a touchdown improvement... And even if they do, they're still allowing over 30 points a game. So, I'm, I'm right now I'm out on Ole Miss... And I think that also you have to to throw in the fact that if they were to go ten and two, you know, you have to start looking at that schedule. And they do have road games both against Alabama and then Auburn, and then also Liberty's coming to town. And I will not say that that is a surefire win for the Rebels until I see both of those teams play. You hit a lot of great points there. I'm in on Auburn on the fence on A and M and out on Ole Miss. For some reason, folks are down on Auburn. Yet Auburn was one of five teams last year in the SEC that finished with a winning record. And they bring back a lot of their football team, and they bring back players at the right positions. Bring back their entire offensive line. They bring back their quarterback. They bring back their star running back. If I'm going to lose, especially when you're talking about Auburn's scheme and what they want to do, if I'm going to lose a position group, I'm going to look at the position group that Auburn lost. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm okay with that. As long as I get all of the other three back, yeah, I'm okay with it. And Auburn lost all the receivers because I think there's a lot of potential there. That's why I would have taken that and said, hey, these guys have potential. I'll take the growing pains because I want the other three groups. I think if the other three groups take a massive step forward, then Auburn's going to be just fine on offense. And I think that's what people will see this year. Then you look on the defense. Majority of the defensive line is back. At least the major playmakers on the defensive line is back. And then you've imported new talent to challenge and possibly take the place of, and now that we see with Tyrone Truesdale not being in the program anymore, you've already seen that happen. Tony Fair took that spot at nose tackle. Talk about Eku Leota coming in, trying to provide a challenge off the edge for guys like Derek Hall, but you still bring back your studs on this defense, at least up front, that performed well last year, like Derek Hall and Colby Wooded. You brought back the right players there on the front, and then you go to your linebackers. You're going to have a hard time finding 10 linebacker groups in college football that are better than Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain. And then it's not too shabby that your depth 
is four-year player Chandler Wooten, right? So you love all the experience that you bring back in linebacker and then the defensive backfield as well. You basically lost one starter back there. That was Jamie and Sherwood. And I don't mean anything bad by this because I think Sherwood has the potential to really carve out a role for himself in the NFL with the New York Jets. But the thing is, he's being moved from safety to linebacker at the New York Jets. I think he was being used incorrectly at Auburn. It obviously didn't work out. This may be addition by subtraction, whatever that even means. I know that's a funny saying, but you think about it, Auburn getting a true safety back there that has a little bit more agility in the hips and a a lot better coverage skills, that's going to help Auburn out at the top. And then we've talked at length about how deep this cornerback room is. There's a lot to like about this football team, and I don't understand how I can look around at folks and see six and six projections everywhere when Auburn brings back more of their football team than most of the league, and they were still a top-five team last year. Whereas I look at the other two teams on this list, and Ole Miss brings back a lot, but they struggled their way to four or five wins. They struggled their way to five wins. Didn't really beat anybody good until they beat Indiana in the bowl game. And that was an Indiana team without Michael Penix at quarterback. That was a down Indiana team. What did Ole Miss do last year other than lose by 14 to Alabama that was anything significant? They didn't. They even lost to LSU at the end of the year. And for some reason, folks are latching onto that as like a quality win for LSU. And then I'm like, who did Ole Miss beat? And Texas A&M's got a great defense, but they got a long way to go on offense with a true freshman quarterback that's only thrown four passes with a brand stinking new offensive line in front of them. You know, you should be on the fence about A&M more than you are about Auburn. This new coaching staff is going to know how to push all the right buttons. I have my my flow chart for my game predictions. You have your requirements and your parameters, and I really love recently the parameters that you've put on what what qualifies as a national championship, a playoff caliber team. You need to have a good quarterback. You need to have a Brees Hall type running back. I, I jokingly say you need a Brees Hall. Tank Bixby is more than that. You need to have a good defense. And Auburn right now, depth wise, I think they've got I think they've got the guys to make it happen. I'm not saying Auburn's a playoff team. I'm not saying they're winning the national title, but in terms of the things that you need to make to have a successful season, I think Auburn has the pieces and all that that they that they need that they don't have is a coaching staff to to push them in the right direction. I believe they have that. The media right now just is saying we don't know whether or not Auburn has that, but I feel like Brian Harson is guiding Auburn in the right direction. That's why I am in on Auburn more so than Texas A&M, who does not have a good quarterback. They are breaking in a new freshman in Haynes King, and you and I have talked about before on the show, it took Texas A&M last time they developed a quarterback four years for them to get that quarterback comfortable and going. Kellen Mond had, had struggled throughout his entire career, but last season he was pretty darn good, but it took him so long to finally figure it out. They play team defense. They're really, really good, I, I would say, at every at every position there at Texas A&M. But still, that, that, that new quarterback and that new offensive line, as you mentioned, is going to hold them back at some point in big games. You talk about big games. They get both Alabama and Auburn at home. They have, never, they have not beaten Auburn at home, I think, in their history. 
And obviously, getting Alabama on the road, neutral site, at home, is going to be difficult regardless of wherever it's played. So I I definitely have some questions about this Texas A&M team. Now, there are some positives, obviously, with the defense and the schedule, but they're breaking in a new freshman quarterback, and you don't just beat Alabama, Auburn, LSU with a freshman quarterback year one. I'm way more high on Auburn than I am on A&M. I completely agree with you. I want to dig into the narratives even more, though. Think about this. You look at each year for Kellamon. Every year, people would say, oh, this is the year where it's going to work out for Kellamon. They just completely wrote off the years before it. Now, I was more critical of them than most people, but every year it seemed like the national media would say, oh, no, this is this is Texas A&M's year where they break out. They're going to be a surprise team. Kellamon's going to take a massive step forward. And it didn't happen until his senior season and he was still just a really good game manager. He just quit making mistakes. It's not like he lit up the scoreboard or that he was, you know, torching folks for 300 yards a game or it all of a sudden clicked where he was going to be a top-tier NFL draft quarterback. No, that that that's not what happened with Kalamon last year. He just quit throwing interceptions that lost AM ball games, right? Why why is Bo Nix not getting the same the same pass? Like, a, you, you can't afford quarterbacks the ability to develop on a year-in and year-out basis. Now, I know we didn't see a huge step forward from Bo Nix last year, or really we didn't see any step forward from Bo Nix last year. But who's to say that it doesn't finally cl- doesn't finally click? Why do we have to write off the quarterback after two seasons that he's been on campus? He was an underclassman. He was a freshman and a sophomore. Why can't you leave it open for his junior and senior season for it to work out? Because you, you've certainly seen that at Auburn. You've certainly seen quarterbacks get better in the last 20 years. Look at Jason Campbell back in the early 2000s. Took him three or four years to figure it out. Talk about Chris Todd. He had to get into the system for two years for it to work out. I think Nick Marshall became a better passer going into his second season. You can pick out some quarterbacks where it's like, yeah, it took those guys several seasons to figure it out inside the Auburn program. I think Bo Nix, why is he any different? Why does he catch that flag, whereas other quarterbacks like Kellamon will catch a pass every year and everybody's like, no, no, this year it's going to be different. And for me, I'm not saying that Bo Nix is going to be a first-round draft selection this upcoming year, but I definitely think he gets a lot better. And from all the things that we're hearing about in terms of his development as a quarterback and what he's learning from Mike Bobo, for me, I'm hearing all the right things. I'm hearing about decision-making, hearing about his mechanics improving. All that's super important for him because those were the two main areas that I think he needed to improve. The last final one that I don't think we're going to know anything about is Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast talked about this earlier in the week, at least yesterday. Yeah, he talked about this yesterday. If you want to go and listen to what he said more in detail, go and find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Shameless plug there. But what Zach touched on that is the final box that you have to check, and we're not going to find out about that until the Penn State game really in detail. The final box that you have to check with Bo Nix is what happens when everything breaks down. What happens when there is chaos? What happens? Is he going to be able to step up and make the plays that and, and the tight window throws and make decisions quickly in those types of high-pressure environments? Is he going to be able to make those decisions and make those plays that win Auburn close football games? And up to this point, he hasn't been good at that. We won't know about that until he's actually thrust into that situation. I don't think that happens until week three. You talk about, you know, Bo Nix developing as a passer. Statistically, this season, had he had those non-conference games, and you take the two games away that Auburn would not have initially had 
during if if you just give them an an eight game SEC schedule, you give the four non conference games, and I know that would have included North Carolina, but still. Nix has a slight statistical improvement over what he did in 2019. He did not regress, I don't think. I just don't think he got much better. And you look at this year. you look 2019 at, all over again. Exactly, right. You look at this offense. It, the words that have been thrown out about it are that it's more downhill, it's more efficient, it's more detail-oriented, and it's more complex. And I think all of those things are fantastic for Bo Nix. You talk about his ability to make decisions in high-pressure situations. And you talk about Zach Blackerby, the Locked on Auburn podcast. He actually had uh, Brad Law of the Auburn Sports Network on the other day, and he said something that I really liked. He was talking about the sophistication of this offense, how complex the receiver routes were, and how pleased he was with Bo Nix during camp because he believes whenever it, whenever it does truly break down, this expanded route tree is going to give Nix a lot more more things to look at. And so you talk about mechanically Nick's improving. You talk about the footwork. You talk about the decision-making. You talk about this route tree. I think all those things come together as a collective positive. I think this offense is going to be better this season. There are a lot of things that point toward it getting better. This team, I believe, is going to get better. And so there, there might be SEC fans out there that would that could say, well, I'd rather have Haynes King over Bo Nix. And you talk about your parameters and saying you need a running back, a quarterback, and a defense. If Haynes King figures it out, you know, Texas A&M could be a playoff contender I believe there's a lot you could you should put a lot more stock in Bo Nix in this new offense because he's a third year five former five-star quarterback starting at an SEC school that was one of only five SEC schools to have a positive winning record last season again I'm high on the Tigers this season compared to the likes of Texas A&M and Ole Miss also I look at the other teams in this trio Texas A&M and Ole Miss going back to the genesis of this segment in on the fence or out and you had to be in on one of these teams on the fence and then out on the other two, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss were the three teams that we're looking at. I look, tech, I look at Texas A&M, and sure, they bring back nine guys on defense, so a lot's coming together for them there. But I look on offense, there's there's more things coming apart for them there than coming together, right? They're having to rebuild. They're having to reload. I don't think they're going to reload. I like the term rebuild a little bit more for the A&M offense because I think there is going to be a growth period there for them. And then you look at Ole Miss, sure, they returned 17 starters and they were they return a decent amount of their offensive line, but if you'll remember, they let their offensive line coach go right after the spring. Talk about the skill position players. Yeah, you got to love them, but it's brand new starters at all of their receiver spots. And then I don't care how many players you bring back on that defense. That defense was awful. And statistically, you were doing research into the depths of Ole Miss defensive history. And I think you found some numbers. I don't know if you have those in front of you, but you might be able to expand upon how this was historically one of the worst defenses to have ever played at Ole Miss. Yeah, so the the other day I, I wrote an article for Auburn Wire breaking down uh, the the Ole Miss Rebels by by unit, by position. And I was grading them like we've done over the course of this offseason here on the line that you and I, had, Noah, have, have uh, put out some rankings. And I was looking at their points per game, and obviously it's probably the most important metric in terms of how many points you allow per game because that, at the end of the day, determines whether or not you win or you lose ball games. I believe you said that on the show yesterday, Noah. But in terms of this defense, I kept going back. I kept going. I was looking through numbers, and I kept going all the way back to the, to the early 2000s. I went to the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, and I couldn't find a year where Ole Miss gave up more than 38.3 points per game. 
this historically last year was almost from at least from a points per game perspective their worst season. I'm not going to say ever because I didn't I didn't go past like 1977. But relevant college football history, right? In in terms of relevant college football history since the turn of the century. They were terrible. Ole Miss was 13th in the SEC in yards allowed per rush attempt. They were giving up 10 yards uh, per more on every 10th play. Their sack rate was the third worst in the SEC. They couldn't get pressure on the uh, the offensive side of the, or on the defensive side of the ball. They were just absolutely terrible. They they gave up the second most amount of explosive plays only behind LSU in the entire country. They were last in the SEC in total yards per game. That was second worst nationally. They just didn't do anything good. They were just historically terrible. And you know, you can say you, with the addition of non-conference the non-conference schedule and the addition of all this returning production, they should be a slightly improved. Yeah, but it's only a slight improvement. And while their offense may be fantastic, They've got so many question marks on the other side of the football. I don't see them go, going better than maybe seven, eight wins max. It's going to hold them back. The defense is going to hold them back in a lot of matchups. You know, to be honest, this is the worst defense that we've seen at Ole Miss since the last time that music was good. And honestly, that applies to any age group. If you think music was good the last time in, in the 2000s, the 90s, 80s, 70s, yeah, you're going to be just fine because this defense was bad compared to all of those decades, you know. Yeah, you, you like Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yeah, Ole Miss's defense last year was worse than the last time that Earth, Wind, and Fire was a big deal, right? Like <laughs> this, this team was uh, this team was bad on that side of the ball. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about summer league action. Auburn players are doing pretty well. Out number one of online coming up in just a short nine minutes. You are not going to want to miss this interview. J.D. Myers of Jags Radio Network. He's South Alabama play-by-play announcer, also host on the sports talk show The Press Box, several affiliates throughout the state of Alabama, and one of those, Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. We look forward to talking with J.D., about a plethora of things, mostly about South Alabama football. So if you're a South Alabama Jaguars fanatic, if you're a fan of the Jags, we're going to get some of his takes through fall camp, as well as what's going on with local Opelika product Jake Bentley as he goes through his first fall camp. Well, it'll be his only fall camp with the South Alabama Jaguars considering he's going five, six years in college now. But yes, a great interview coming up, 3 p.m. J.D. Byers of the Jags Radio Network and the Press Box. Talk about... NBA Summer League action, namely Auburn players. Sharif Cooper had another big night yesterday. But I think a big story to point out yesterday, early in the afternoon, JT Thor. He is having, quietly, but he is he is having an efficient summer. And I think he's beginning to be he's beginning to be rewarded with more playing time. He didn't play in the first summer league game for the Hornets, and he's played in the last two, and he's made the most of his minutes yesterday. And a 106 to 105 loss to the San Antonio Spurs. And this was on my Twitter account. So if you want to go look at the stat sheet and everything, you can go and find this on my Twitter account at Point Gardner. Interesting note here former Auburn forward JT Thor is one of four Hornets to not have a negative plus minus in the game against the Spurs. 10 points, seven rebounds across just 17 minutes. That is the epitome of making the most of your time on the floor. He was three for five from the floor, only had one personal foul. He had no turnovers. This guy literally did no wrong on the basketball floor from a statistical standpoint. And to come off the bench 
and to be one of four players on this team in a game that they lost one of four players on this team to not have a negative plus minus and some of these plus minuses they're ugly but JT Thor ended up having a, a, a pretty good day and honestly when he stepped out on the floor he was only doing good things yeah, absolutely. You you talk about JT Thor and his efficiency during his time at Auburn. Obviously, he didn't shoot the ball well from three, but you saw in flashes where JT Thor could be just a reliable piece uh, for, for the Tigers on and off. You saw it in the Kentucky game, obviously, but you see it in the summer league action during the course of his two games. He's not done anything wrong necessarily like you said shooting 60 percent from the floor he had 10.7 rebounds to do that in just 17 minutes and come out I mean he's he should be a valuable depth piece uh for the Hornets this season like they should be really excited about this guy if he continues to do this through the summer league I would be incredibly excited be like all right whenever we put JT Thor in we're getting a guy that won't turn the ball over he won't make mistakes he understands his role and I think that's incredibly important and he is going to continue to grow in that. Talked yesterday a little bit about Isaac Okoro, what he needs to do to get better in the NBA. Just understand his role, continue to understand his role, and to grow in it as a scorer, as a distributor, as a defensive player, as a vocal leader on the team. Isaac Okoro is going to get to grow into that. You look at a guy like JT Thor, obviously not quite there yet, but as a in terms of being a bench player, incredibly valuable for the Charlotte Hornets if he continues to keep this up. I kind of wonder if they do something similar with what the Magic did with Chumo Kiki. Of course, Chumo Kiki was injured, so they didn't really sign him until this year. But I wonder if they stash him in the G League for a season, give him that year to finally be, you know, of NBA age. Because you have to remember, he's just now getting to be 18, 19 years old. This would have been the year where he would have been going to college for his freshman season. Right. So I kind of wonder if they stash him in the G League this upcoming year, which scares me a bit because the G League is a place where a lot of guys never quite find themselves out of it. But if he plays really well in the G League, develops nicely, then I think he would have a real shot to end up on the Hornets roster when it's all said and done. Maybe they sign him to a two-way contract. I'm just we've been scarred by that with multiple players, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper. You've been scarred by it, you know, so I hate to see these guys go to the G League. But maybe hey, he's doing he's doing the right things right now. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up. JD Byers on the other side of this break. Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show throughout the day today up to this point. We wrapped up our preseason depth chart series with Auburn special teams group played another round of in on the fence or out with some of those Pac-12 teams as well as got on our soapbox about Auburn football for this upcoming year and why nobody 
is giving them a pass when they really should be. And then here in hour number two, we start off hour number two with a great guest, J.D. Byers, South Alabama play-by-play announcer as well as host on the Press Box. J.D., appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a great show already. You were talking about those guests, and we're, we're getting there. We'll be putting the ball in the air before we know it. And speaking about putting the ball in the air, of course, Opelika product, Jake Bentley transferring from Utah, South Carolina. He's now at South Alabama, but also you've got returning starter Jasmine Trotter, who was pretty good last year at a 65% completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, four picks, nearly 2,000 yards. Is there a quarterback battle going on here, or is it expected to be Jake Bentley? What's the quarterback room look like? Well, the the battle is for number two. Um, and, and, you know, Tolbert had those good numbers. And last year, his TD to interception ratio was really good. He protected the ball well. Um, Bentley's established himself. He's getting all the reps at number one. Um, he, he's made a really good impact, and he's kind of on a different level as of right now. The arms of Tanner McGee and Desmond Trotter, Trotter had more meaningful snaps, but McGee had some touchdown drives a year ago for the Jaguars. They're more in a lock battle now for number two. What Kane Womack, first-year head football coach at South Alabama, is looking for, though, is more responsibility with the football. Uh, they're doing more uh, exotic routes, if you will, under first-year OC uh, Major Applewhite, and that's what it was expected. That's what he was brought in to do. It's kept the defense on their heels, but they're looking for more protection in the football from the second-string quarterback. And you talk about Major Applewhite coming into uh, this program and schematically changing this offense. What is South doing on the offensive side of the ball to get the the, uh, the the ball out of these quarterbacks' hands quicker? Obviously, last year the offensive line had some protection issues. Their sack rate uh, was not was not up to uh, up to snuff last season. So, are they is Major Applewhite trying to get these quarterbacks to get the ball out of their hands quicker in order to uh, to prevent some of those sacks that that, that uh, South had last season? Well, it started up front in the transition with additions to the offensive line. And I think, at least now, going into this many practices and a couple in pads, that you will see short-up changes at left tackle and right tackle, including some uh, transfers that come in with some Division One experience and, and meaningful snaps. One of the guys from, Memphis, one of the guys from, I'm sorry, from Mississippi State. Uh, you got a running back now that can also block uh, and carry the football from Texas A&M. Etc. But uh, I'm also seeing deeper drops, um, rollout, play action. I see a big difference with Bentley, who takes a little bit of a of a bigger, steeper drop. Um, but also routes are different, built for more of a three step and a five step drop. Uh, but the protection has to be improved up front. Some guys had an opportunity to come back, already had their degree on the offensive line, chose not to. And hey, if you've got I think one guy already had his master's or maybe two degrees, and you want to move on, That that's noble as well. But it allowed Kane Walmack on the offensive line to get quality upfront protection fellows because you you know we've all seen it at, at different stops. Major Applewhite at Texas, then at Houston, and of course in his playing days. He's going to be multiple. He's going to be hard to figure out. He's not going to be predictable. Okay, he's negative territory right hash. Uh, when it's three receivers to a side or whatever, they're going to do this. It's going to be very hard to predict, a lot of wind addressing, and he's going to be very multiple. Talk about that new coaching staff. Of course, Kane Womack, defensive coordinator at Indiana last year, or the last two years that is, and Indiana had one of the better defenses statistically in all of college football. And then 
Major Applewhite, you're mentioning there, coming in as OC. There's some high-profile coaches coming down, coming down to Mobile at South Alabama now. What is the culture shift like with the South Alabama program that seems to be on the come-up because they were 2-10 in 2019, 4-7 last year? It seems to be improving. Yeah, and it's, it, it's an overhaul. Uh, I don't think – no, I don't think we had any holdovers as far as – it was totally re, redone. Uh, Corey Batoon comes in defensively on that side of the ball as a coordinator, uh, a native of Hawaii, one of my favorite coaches. Uh, you'd really like talking to him. He's a great radio interview. Major Applewhite is as well. But uh, Corey Batoon, uh, he's just a, a, a different level of thinking in the way he communicates. It's just really good radio if you, you guys ever want to get him on. So he comes in. Major Applewhite was not at Indiana. And then you get a guy, a couple of guys from the University of Alabama, Applewhite being one. But then Robbie Ezell who has roots to Athens, Alabama. And, you know, his dad and I played at the same university. His dad a little older than I am. And I covered Rob when he was a Golden Eagle in high school. But uh, he kind of comes off that Nick Saban tree. And then, you know, the other day at practice, it was kind of cool not only to see the coaching staff out, energetic, but two of the coaches had their dads there. Uh, Gordon Steele, who's coaching the offensive line. Kevin Steele, his father, was uh, at the exact same practice when Dave Womack was there to see his son, the head coach, Kane Womack. Dave Womack, a very legendary coordinator uh, in the SEC. I think his last go-around was with uh, the Ole Miss Rebels before he finally retired and, and enjoying retirement life and the grandchildren. So it was kind of cool to see them at the indoor practice facility the other day. I want to go back to the trenches, but I want to, I, I do want to talk about this defensive line just for yeah. a little bit. Talking about sack rate, you know, as well for the defensive line, they were not getting a whole lot of pressure up front last season, just 13 sacks and 346 pass rush opportunities. That was not where South wanted it to be. This new 4-2-5 scheme, does the defensive line produce more pressure under Kane Womack? I think w- without a doubt, but it's also – a 4-2 that can look 4-2 but make adjustments pre-snap, um, given you know where the ball is, making adjustments, and can be multiple on that side of the ball as well. Uh, Corey Batoon, it's, you know, it, it, I don't think it's a situation like you would have in Tuscaloosa where you have a defense coordinator, but it's Saban's defense because that's where his knowledge is. I think they're both kind of one and the same as far as philosophy, but it'll be Corey Batoon. Uh, you'll, you'll see two linebackers that, you know, will, will, will look like a traditional 4-2, and then all of a sudden you may go into a bare front on certain downs. And the, the, the depth at corner will allow you to do a little bit more things when guys can come in and play lockdown. So, you know, more three and outs this year, hopefully. Get off the field, as you kind of summed up there in the question. Getting off the field was a lot easier said than done last year. Uh, because, you know, long sustained drives do nothing but hurt your defense. And then, then, you know, when South Alabama would get, you know, let's say three or four, three and outs, you think that's, that's a winning equation for any defense. It was the other, uh, you know, times on the field where they just couldn't get off the field no matter what. They could get a team in third and 18 and let them convert. And I think that's where you'll see a big difference is more consistently this time around for the Jaguars with South Alabama in 2021. Bouncing around on the football team here, you talk about the star of the South Alabama Jaguars. It's wide receiver Jalen Tolbert, 1,000-yard receiver last year, north of 60 receptions, 17 yards per reception, had eight touchdowns. For folks out there that may not keep up with USA, tell them about him. This guy's a stud. 
town, and a hometown kid, McGill Tulin, had a chance to not only uh, leave and enter the draft, also had a chance. Uh, a lot of Power Fives and Division Ones and the SEC uh, as well were calling, or you know, I don't want to say they were violating any trust issues or integrity, but there was open invitations at a lot of programs. And he said, no, we're, we're staying here. Uh, you know, we've got major Apple whites coming in with his offense and I get a lot of the touches as it is. I don't want to be hidden, you know, all of a sudden six deep in a four man rotation at another program, uh, just because I'm moving up. And, uh, you know, he's worked really hard. Not that he's had to work hard. The guy can play the ball. It's remarkable what he can do between defenders over defenders, uh, a lot of the drills include trying to catch the ball in traffic between outstretched arms. A lot of their sideline drills are just that. But, you know, one of the first days in shells, we go out, and he's running with the ones, as you'd expect. And, you know, Bentley went to try to drop one in between underneath and over-the-top coverage, and that's that's not the easiest thing to do. So he just he went ahead and put air under it, thinking, if I miss him five feet over his head, it's going to be five feet over everybody's head, and it's going out of bounds. And he just gracefully goes in like, like Freddie Belitnikoff, and makes this routine grab, comes down, steps out, gives the trainer the ball, goes back to the huddle, and we're all just kind of standing there like, he just did that. Uh, his, his leap is unbelievable. You talk about stars on this team, and obviously Tolbert, the star of the offense. Is Nick Mobley, the uh, team's returning leading tackler, the star on defense, or do you have somebody else in mind? You know, we lost Riley Cole, uh, free agent to the NFL draft. Uh, did have a draftee last year, but he was on the offensive side of the football. Um, you know, a guy that's moved, uh, by the way, when these guys want to move jersey numbers, it, it, as a broadcaster, would you consult me first, please? It's <laughs> a nightmare. Keith Gallman, Keith Gallman goes to the zero, which is now legal. Jalen Wayne goes from four to the zero. I guess they wanted to have a zero. But Keith Gallman, uh you know, a guy who could play strong safety or free safety, uh, not huge in stature. The guy's not even 5'10 with cleats on, uh, but he's he's more of the vocal leader, I would have to say, on that. He's, he's able to call coverages. He's the quarterback of the secondary. He's a Mobile product, played at Mobile Christian School. He's only a junior. Uh, he's shown improvement every year. He, he was physical and made mistakes at least wide open, but they were glaring mistakes his first year, and last year was – uh, I, I thought very responsible up front and played played great. John Tank Miller, uh, some of these guys uh, who, who will be back though are going to. Christian Bell was a guy who started at Alabama, I think went to Wisconsin and was more of a third down guy. I think you'll see him as a multiple uh, down guy. But Nick Mobley gives you just so much uh, experience, but also success. And amongst the guys up front, he's definitely the leader. Comes from a great program, Thompson High School at Alabaster, and uh, one of the best with the media, too. He's another one. If you ever get post-game with a mic in somebody's face, go get Nick Mobley. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> Talking about this entire football team, now 17 starters return, and we've we've mentioned a little bit of the ascension for the program. Went from one conference win two years ago to three last year. What's the optimism with all this experience in the program, a transfer quarterback coming from Power 5 play, what's the optimism that this team can get to a bowl game, sell people on the potential of that? You know, it shapes up good. I know you're under a first-year head coach. you got a transferred-in quarterback. you got a new system, new coordinators. But, uh, man, if you could have just been boots on the ground here and seen what the offseason's like with seven-on-seven camps, uh, the interest from those guys who would be coming in and it'll be your frosh before you know it. 
and, and those kids coming from programs across the southeast, not just the state of Alabama, not just the Gulf Coast, but coming from the other side of Alabama, coming from Georgia, a lot from Florida, and they see the facilities, the recruiting is going to get even more fertile here. But as you look at the schedule, the front end doesn't look, you know, just horrendous because a lot of times when you're a group of five, you see the front end just waylaid with money games. Well, we don't do that because the Sun Belt wants more teams to be bowl eligible. So we typically play the one money game because financially we're all on really good budgets. Um, you know, our TV contract share is eight to tenfold what it is in Conference USA. So we have a whole lot more money coming in from the league and our television contracts. We don't have to go play two or three Power Fives, SEC, Big 12. So Southern Miss is the opener. It's at home this time. They're only 55 minutes to an hour and a half away, depending on traffic. And we beat them in Hattiesburg last year in the opener. They'll be looking for some redemption. They've got a first-year head coach in Will Hall, who played his collegiate football at UNA, North Alabama. And then it's a trip to Bowling Green. So there's a winnable MAC game. Alcorn State comes in. Then you start conference play with Louisiana who's lost their three great running backs there. They get their quarterback back. And then it's Texas State, who the Jags won handily against uh, last year. We'll go to San Marcos. So you really don't have another, I don't think, huge, huge test where you're an underdog until Appalachian State, and that'll be on the road in the second half of the season, and then to Knoxville and Neyland Stadium to take on the Volunteers. You talk about this schedule, and then also right after that Texas State game, you get a Georgia Southern team at home that South only lost by a touchdown to last season, and then you go on the road against ULM, who South crushed. I mean, honestly, you could see potentially South get to, if they get hot, potentially get to six wins before that Arkansas State matchup. I'm incredibly optimistic on this team, but my question to you is, is that what qualifies as a successful season for a South Alabama getting to a bowl, or do they have higher oh, yeah. expectations? Well, expectations or hopes, yeah, but under a first-year head coach managing those expectations, uh, a bowl trip would be... Uh, you know, our third in our very young history, we take it. Uh, I, I think the, the goal on the horizon, that's maybe not this year, but uh, down the line, that's very attainable as a conference championship. Uh, then you were talking about Arkansas State comes in right after Monroe, and the Jags got their first win in Jonesboro ever last year against Arkansas State, and that was against the team that only managed four wins. When ULM hosts the Jags, that's a pretty good storyline. Me, you know, considering former Auburn head coach Terry Bowden is now the head man at ULM with a, a coordinator there with a very familiar name in Rich Rodriguez. Uh, Terry and I are still close. We used to work together, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of look forward to going and seeing him. I wish it was at our place so we could show him our new digs. But uh, you know, I, I look very forward to going out there and giving Terry Bowden a loss, hopefully. But I, I think they're going to be an improved football team under their first year head coach as well. J.D., before we let you get out of here, funny question. Of course, NCAA football games, they're coming back soon. And back on the last copy of the video game, NCAA football 14, if you play at Texas State, Reese Davis's little pre-recorded thing that he says is, you don't just walk into San, Mar San Marcos, Texas, and expect to get a win. What is San Marcos like? I've always wondered this since I've heard that on the video game. Is there any way you can get me that audio? Because I was talking with uh, Reese yesterday, and he's going to be on my show next Thursday. If I could run that audio before he comes on, I would never let him live it down. That'd be great. i got to <laughs> have me, that. Let me try Are and get a serious? video recording of it for you later tonight. Oh, that would be great. 
you know, it's a really good stadium because, you know, they were FCS not long ago, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it seems about 30,000, but no, it's not an intimidating place, and they don't really pack it out. Every now and then they'll get an in-state game uh, like a TCU uh, to come in, and, uh, you know, they'll pack it out for, for a big event like that. It's a quality place, but definitely not one that has an overwhelming home field advantage for the Bobcats. Uh, Dennis Franchoni, you know, was their coach after uh, a couple of stops, that, you know, successful stops when he was at Alabama and Texas A&M. But, you know, even he had a hard time recruiting and winning on a consistent level. Peter Sandwich right between uh, College Station. You got Austin to the north. You got UTSA. Uh, that's kind of on your level recruiting, you know, 20 minutes down the road from you. So it's, it's, it, Texas is a big place. They got a lot of athletes, but they also got a lot of programs packed in there as well. So, you know, there's a lot of power five ahead of you in the pecking order. JD, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they could keep up with the press box. Yeah, we're, uh, at different times in the state, depending on where you're listening. I think we're coming up on 11 great affiliates, pressboxradio.com is the show loops uh but uh you know they're the uh uh, a couple of apps as well but uh on this station as well uh right uh yes on fox sports and alabama affiliates yeah uh but yeah and you know we're we're pressboxradio.com on the web for the for that streaming site but also pressboxradio one if you'd like to follow us on social media because we put some good podcasts up there as well you know we get mr college football tony barnhart's on with us he's always good for a Splice Away podcast. If you want to get, just catch one segment of our show a day that's good, or what we think's good, and it may be crummy by your standards, and I appreciate that because we're not <laughs> that good. We try to sprinkle in a little uh, sports talk when we're not talking Caddyshack or uh, smoking the bandit, but you'll find that on social media. You have phenomenal guests. I always enjoy it. I mean, like like I said, you guys bring in some of the greatest names. You have a Reese Davis on, Tony Barnhart. If you're looking for some high-profile guests, I, I'll sell it right there. The Press Box Radio is the place to go and look for it. J.D., I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. That was J.D. Byers of the Jags Radio Network and also the Press Box. We'll be back with more of On the Line when we come back. Hour two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Just got finished talking with J.D. Byers of the Jags Radio Network and the Press Box. Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Excellent conversation there with J.D. He talks about South Alabama and them going through fall camp right now and getting ready for the season. I think this South Alabama team, I think you look at that schedule and the way that they played last year and also the coaches that they brought into the program with Kane Womack at Indiana. Last year, he was a defensive coordinator at Indiana the last two years. Now he's coming in as the head coach. Also talking about Major Applewhite all of a sudden resurfacing in college football. I did not realize that until he said it. Major Applewhite resurfacing in college football as the OC at South Alabama. Some good coaches on that staff. I think you look at the schedule. South can be a bowl team next year. Yeah, absolutely. I was not kidding her trying to hype JD up whenever I said, and I legitimately mean this, that South could have six wins potentially before that Arkansas State game on October 30th. Again, he gets Southern Miss at home. Uh, South Alabama was able to beat them last season on the road. They get they go to Bowling Green, and we all know that Bowling Green was one is probably second worst in the country last season, uh, next to Akron. 
Alcorn State at home, then you get a potential top 25 team in Louisiana at home. That's probably the definitive loss. Then you go on the road to a 2-10 Texas State squad. That's definitely winnable. Georgia Southern, they lost by a touchdown on the road to the Eagles last season. I would expect at home that South has chances, especially with a former SEC quarterback, if he, if he gets the start, if Bentley gets the start, that is. Uh, I would say that their chances there are pretty good. Then they go on the road to ULM and South won last season at home 38-14. to I like South's chances in that game. So there it is. One, two, three, four, five, six wins with the Louisiana loss on October 2nd. And you head into that Arkansas State game and it's at home. And I know that Arkansas State's definitely a tricky opponent. I believe they were second nationally in passing yards per game last season. Offensively, a lot of fun to watch. But yeah, absolutely. Until those last three games of the season, South has a really good chance to uh to surprise some people and to uh get to six wins and you better you better handle your business before the end of october because november is going to be very difficult to say the least because you're at troy team that was five and six last year but they bring back 18 starters beat south alabama last year 29 to zero in that rivalry game at appalachian state another team that's probably a shoe in for 10 wins in the sun belt at Tennessee, that's, once again, just an SEC team, a lot better talent in Knoxville. And then you get Coastal Carolina at the end on a Friday night. Coastal Carolina may be another one of those squads. When you look at their schedule, you're like, wow, there's no losses on that schedule when you talk about them in Appalachian State. So November, extremely difficult. They're going to have to do a lot of their work in the first two months. But if they can handle their business against those teams and maybe close the gap against some of the squads that they barely lost to, like Georgia Southern, then I think you could see this team be a bowl team at the end of the year they're going to be awfully close they just need to find a way to upset somebody on that schedule they're going to be awfully close that is the south alabama jaguars i want to switch gears here for our next five minutes before we go to the middle of the hour break in on the fence or out time to look at another trio here i've got two more for you and we may not go through both of these in this time so i'm gonna stick to the group of five one here i think this one's especially scintillating you look at in on the fence or out, you got to choose one of these teams to be in. You got to choose one of these teams to be on the fence with. You got to choose one of these teams to be out on. Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. And for me, I think it goes in that order. I am in on Coastal Carolina. Oh, I love it. I am on the fence on Cincinnati, and I am out on Notre Dame. We all know on this show how I am not. I'm not loving towards Notre Dame and I tried to put my bias aside and I tried to look at these teams and I tried to be honest with myself and say okay which of these teams am I the highest on and I do truly I like both of these group of five schools but I like Coastal Carolina especially so because they bring back 19 starters off of a team that went 11 and 1 last season. I think they're going to be really, really good this season as well. Grayson McCall, a freshman last season, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions, incredibly efficient. He was also the team's leading rusher on a team that uh, averaged over 200 yards rushing. And that's really, really impressive in terms of you know the, 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 their ability to go by committee in the run game and still be that potent overall as an offensive team. Had thir- averaged 37.2 points per game last season. Their defense was also awesome. They bring back 10 starters on that defense. They only allowed 20 points per game. Their turnover margin was plus 13. That was ninth nationally, according to Athlon Sports. I mean, this this offense, man, is absolutely... There's, like. there's, there's a lot to like about this team. This offense is going to be exceptional. The defense is going to be exceptional. And you take a look at that schedule. They get the Citadel, Kansas, Buffalo, UMass, ULM. You keep going down the list, Noah, and there's not a lot of games where I see Coastal Carolina potentially struggling. I see one game, 
at Appalachian State on a Wednesday night, and Appalachian State will be coming off of a bye week. But Coastal Carolina will also be coming off of a bye week. That is going to be a big game, and possibly it will decide the Sun Belt. But isn't there a Sun? Yeah, there's a Sun Belt title game. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're actually in the same division, though. Yes, Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State are in the same division. Excuse me. So that'll be a big one. And if anything, that's one of the higher-profile rivalries in the Sun Belt. Two new additions, but same parts of the country. You talk about Coastal Carolina being in South Carolina, Appalachian State being in North Carolina, Boone, North Carolina, to be exact in that Carolina area, and they're two of the high-profile teams in the Sud Belt. That's going to be a fun game on that Wednesday night on October 20th. Outside of that, I think Coastal Carolina is much, much better than any of these teams on this schedule. I think they should expect to beat Kansas in Week 2 and then maybe one other game where the team will be decent, at least, on their schedule. Georgia State, that's homecoming for Coastal Carolina, though, at home. They play one of the better Sud Belt teams. That's homecoming. They're just like, yeah. We, we could do this. We're going we're gonna to destroy these guys. So I'm with you. I'm in on Coastal. I'm going to say on the fence on Cincinnati. They bring back a lot of their team as well. There's a lot to like about the Cincinnati football team. They bring back a quarterback. They have a good offensive line, and they have a good defense. That's my criteria in order to be a really good football team. You need those three teams. And if you're going to compete for championships, you need those three things. Now, Cincinnati's schedule is very difficult. They've opted to challenge themselves this year. You look at what they're choosing to do. I actually think they play Notre Dame this upcoming year. They play Indiana, yes. Their non-conference schedule is as follows. They open up against Miami, Ohio. Then they host Murray State. Get through those first two cupcakes. Then you're going to be on the road at Indiana. You have a bye week and you're at Notre Dame. You have two tough non-conference road games. But you know why they did that? They did that because at the end of the year, they want people to know that they should be in the in playoff contention. I'm not sure if they get there because they got a tough schedule, but this is still going to be a good team. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. minutes left in the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl at ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone number to call 334-321-1390. Text line, if you're on the go and you want to reach out to us quick, 334-564-1840. 30 minutes left here in the Friday edition of, of On the Line and almost another week in the books here. Let's do fill in the blank Friday. We uh, haven't gotten to that yet here in our Friday edition of the show. We got six good questions here. And if you want to text us your answers or call us on your answers as well, once again, the the number to call, 334-321-1390, and the text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, you ready for fill-in-the-blank Friday? I am ready for fill-in-the-blank Friday. Noah, let's do it. Well, a couple of these questions are out. The NFL preseason, two of them, a third of these questions are about what happened in last night's Patriots game. Mac Jones' performance in the Patriots preseason game was blank. I'm going to say not overly impressive. He, when you go back and watch every pass attempt that he threw, um, there were there were two times in particular where I felt like Mac hung on to the ball just a little too long, and then whenever he was able to get the ball out of his hands, he was accurate. Most of the time he was on time, but there were a couple of throws in the flat where he, he wasn't throwing it at the chest of the receiver. He was throwing it at the legs or the knees of the receiver. And, and you know, he overall, again, he timed his throws well. He was overall accurate. There were just a couple of miscues. I think that's to be expe- expected, especially from a rookie quarterback in a preseason game. Overall, his numbers 13 of 19, 87 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. Uh, average 4.6 yards per completion. But not overly impressive. Didn't do anything special. The two deep throws that he had, one of them was accurate. One of them was just a little bit off. 
again, it's to to me for me to be expected from a uh, a rookie quarterback. Look at the stats again that you just mentioned. Mac Jones, 13 for 19, 87 yards. That's not a great average. You talk about Cam, he didn't do great either. He was 4 for 7 for 49 yards. There's an interesting pro football focus stat that I saw last night. Average depth of target for Patriots quarterbacks versus Washington. Mac Jones, 7.6. Cam Newton, 0.7. Mac Jones pushing the ball a little bit more downfield than Cam Newton was yesterday. Cam Newton obviously not given a whole lot of opportunity out there. Of course, only seven attempts. Mac Jones got a large portion of the playing time at 19. And then once again, Jared Stidham, nowhere to be found. But you look at this Patriots first game. If I was going to fill in this blank here, Mac Jones' performance in the Patriots preseason game was better than the stats. 13 for 19 for 87 yards, no TDs, no picks. Only got sacked one time for nine yards. I thought he looked pretty comfortable. I did. I thought he looked pretty comfortable out there. I think he handled his first NFL game well. The Patriots haven't been, at least last year, and with Cam Newton, they haven't been one of the better teams in the NFL. They've struggled with personnel around the entire football team. Of course, the Patriots have invested a lot into skill position players, into the offensive line, and into some defensive players as well to help them be better this upcoming year. But in watching Mac Jones in this first game, I, I thought he looked pretty comfortable, and honestly, the fact that he was able to get to the line of scrimmage, a lot of times get the ball out of his hands, there was a drop touchdown pass from him as well. I think his stats could have looked better if he had received from some of that help, but in a preseason game where he's running with the twos and he's not getting a ton of help, like I think that Mac Jones, honestly, I think he performed better than maybe what I would have anticipated from the average rookie. I'm not going to set that bar too high. I think he performed better than the stats. Let's head to the phone line now, 334-321-1390. Spectre on the line with us. Spectre, what's up? I tell you, Jones is going to be a good one. What did you think? Fill in the blank. His performance was was blank. What was it? Uh, I'd say good to great. I mean, uh, he put the ball down the field more so than uh, Cam did. And, uh, you know, of course, Cam's one of my great ones. But uh, I'm telling you, just. Matt Jones going back to this Heisman Trophy thing, guys. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Matt Jones, that, that kid, that receiver would not have won the Heisman Trophy. It makes quick decisions. He's accurate. There's a lot to like there. You're not wrong. And I, and I wonder how the Patriots system changes and adapts over time because there's one very specific system for Cam Newton, and it's really not predicated on a downfield passing game or, or a difficult passing scheme. It's to accentuate his running ability and – and to, to help him because in his late in his career, he's not a very good passer. With Mac Jones, there maybe is more that you could do throwing the football, and I'm curious to see at the end of the preseason how the Patriots weigh that. Yeah, I think his accuracy is a whole lot better than, than Cam, was, even when Cam was a rookie in the NFL. I mean, Cam had that, that, had that ability to throw the ball long, but he also had the ability to run it, and that was what gave Cam the, 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 the ability to be a great quarterback in the NFL because it is – fear of running the ball and not his fear but the fear of the defense of him running the ball but Matt Jones I'm telling you what he's a pocket quarterback and all it is is time when he was talking about hitting the guys around the legs with with the with the screen passes and so on that's all about timing that that'll all come out in the wash and uh I just predict that Matt Jones is going to be an excellent quarterback in the NFL 
I think you went to the right location to follow in the footsteps of Tom Brady. Let me tell you that. I, I think Bill Belichick's going to give him the he, – he's got the skill position players this year that Cam didn't have last year. They invested a lot of money in free agency, and I think if they, they will eventually go with Mac Jones. I don't think that he will be the starter week one, but I do think they will eventually go with Mac Jones. After the Patriots yeah. lose a couple of games early on because Cam couldn't beat him with his arm, uh, right. it, they'll move on. Yeah, this is how it goes with Cam. Cam starts off pretty good, but that injury bug seems seems to find a way to get to Cam Newton, and it frustrates him. I mean, he he cannot stand to be injured, and it and it and it hurts him mentally. I think, and that's when you're going to see Matt come in. It really stinks. Uh, the The Panthers ruined him. The Panthers never could get him an offensive line and hurt him. I hate it. You want to root for Cam considering his ties to Auburn and whatnot, and he was a great quarterback. But you're right. There's a lot of – he got banged up a lot. Yeah, hopefully it don't happen this year, but we'll see. Anyway, have a nice day, guys. Appreciate it, Specter. Have a good weekend. That was Specter on the line with us. Well, let's get to the second question. I kind of already answered it. Blank will be the starter for the New England Patriots in week one. I think it's going to be Cam Newton. I think it is going to be Cam Newton. Now, the question is is whether or not he'll be able to ride it out for the entire season. Um, I don't know that. I think Jones definitely has the uh, potential to uh, to usurp Cam at that quarterback spot, but I think week one it's Cam Newton. And already I'm kind of confident in saying this. Before I even saw Mac Jones throw a, a pass yesterday, before I even saw Mac Jones step out in a Patriots uniform, all, it, it's sad that I already felt more confident in Mac Jones than Cam Newton to be able to distribute the football to those plethora of skill position players that they invested in a lot of money. And, and I was listening to the Dan Patrick show this morning, and he made a great point. Why would you invest all that money into skill position players and then not put the quarterback out there that's going to be able to get the football to them? Now, Cam has experience. Cam has put in a lot of work, a lot of effort into the Patriots program, and I think Bill Belichick is going to respect that. I don't think that he's going to ride with it for very long in the regular season. I do think Cam gets the start in week one, but like I said, after you lose a couple of games like they did last year earlier in the season, I think about the Bills game that he lost by fumbling a few times. The only running the, running the football can only take you so far. You even saw last year with Lamar Jackson, his passing numbers take a dip. Teams can key in on it. It's not going to – having just a running quarterback will not win you a Super Bowl. And in the Patriots' case, it, it may not be enough to get them to a playoffs where they're weaker in some areas. It may not be enough to get them into the playoffs. When you look at the defenses that are in their league and, and even the Bills, who are a rather a complete team, but you also look at the Dolphins, this is a tight league. And the Jets are trying to get better as well on both sides of the ball, and I think that they do. They're not going to be a, a one-win, two-win team like they were last year. This is a tougher division than it was a year ago. I, I like the Patriots to be a better team, but I think at the end of the day, this team gets better with Mac Jones than with Cam Newton. But we'll, we'll, I, And I hate to say that, but I predicted this. Back in October of last year, I was like, well, Mac Jones is going to get drafted by the Patriots. He's going to usurp Cam Newton, and that's just the way of life. But you go to question number three here. The most interesting preseason game this weekend is blank. So I, I, I had a tough time deciding between I, – I put down four. And I'm just going to run through them real quick and give the reason why I think they might be interesting. Miami, Chicago, obviously because of Justin Fields potentially playing in that game for the Bears, it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like in an NFL uniform and how he looks out there uh, playing at the professional level. Kansas City against San Francisco, again, Trey Lance, San Francisco, new quarterback, going to be interesting to see what he looks like. Cleveland, Jacksonville, again, yes. Trevor Lawrence. 
Cleveland. I think that will definitely be a game that a lot of people have their eyes on. And then New Orleans, Baltimore was the fourth. And this one was probably the weakest of the group. I'm just interested to see what Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, whoever they have out there, uh, how they look in their uh, limited snaps that they get in the preseason game. Since you already mentioned Cleveland-Jacksonville, which the hype around that game is all about Trevor Lawrence. So I, I, I'm with you there. As a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm keyed into that one because I like a lot of our rookies that are coming in, especially some of those mid-round guys that were third or fourth round players. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to see these guys play. You talk about for Auburn fans, you're going to get to see Anthony Schwartz out there. And I want to see if he ends up on special teams at all. Uh, you know, a lot of times you see a rookie break one free in, in, in the preseason, have a highlight play. I'm wondering if he's getting shown on little Twitter videos everywhere about this, you know, highlight catch that he had downfield where he burned a defensive back or a kick return or a punt return that he had for a touchdown. I'm just curious if he's going to have a massive play in that ball game that ends up being like, oh, yeah, that's why the Browns drafted him. And then the other game that you failed to mention that has a lot of drama around the quarterback position, drama, the Houston Texans and the Green Bay Packers because the Texans don't know what's going on at quarterback with Deshaun Watson. And now, and once again, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show this morning. He brought up great points about this. Jordan Love's going to be out there on the field. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be playing in the preseason, but Aaron Rodgers is is watching from behind the scenes looking at Jordan Love out there, and I'm wondering what's going through his mind. Obviously, he probably doesn't really care about Jordan Love, but I wonder what's going through the Packers organization mind. Like, do we want Jordan Love to, to play well? Because that could create drama with Aaron Rodgers, uh, but, but at least we'll have some security after he leaves. Or do we want him to play worse so that Aaron Rodgers will feel better? There's just so much drama around the quarterback position here between these two franchises. It's very intriguing. Another game, yeah, I completely agree with you. Another game that I that I failed to mention that could be juicy. A lot of people are going to have their eyes their uh, eyes on that game as well. Yesterday's Atlanta Brave loss to the Cincinnati Reds, I believe the final score was 12 to 3, was blank. I will say shocking and painful. Based on the trajectory of the Braves right now, I was feeling good, man. I was feeling good. I was like, man, we're about to sweep the Reds. What is going on here after Ozzie Albies hit that uh, 11th inning walk-off home run uh, against the Reds just a couple of days ago? I was excited, man. I was looking at the rest of the schedule. You and I were talking about it a little bit yesterday. I was like, yeah, the the, the Braves are getting hot. They're taking over first place in their division. And then uh, a shocking 12-3 to loss. They were up. I believe I, they were up, I think it was just one nothing in the fourth or something like that, and the Reds hit a grand slam, and from that point on, it was just downhill. Uh, but I expect the Braves to bounce back. It was both painful and surprising, though. I did not expect a blowout loss like that to just come out of, the, out of nowhere, really. I'll say this, jarring. I think that the loss was jarring. Now, with that being said, like there's a positive way to spin it. First, I'll touch on the jarring part, and then I'll get to the positive way to spin it. It was jarring because of the upward trajectory that you were talking about it and how far the Braves have come to get to this point where they are now several games above 500. Since they've turned the page and have gotten to above 500 for the first time this season, they have not dipped below it again. They're on this upward trajectory, and then all of a sudden they get smashed, and it kind of sobered everybody. Braves fans are now like, oh, yeah, like the work's not done yet. Just because we got into first place, doesn't mean we can let off the gas. And I'm not saying that was what was happening with the team and the organization in this ball game against the Reds. That's where now I'll get to the positive spin on this. They almost swept the Reds, man. Like th- this is not baseball. It's baseball, right? Like you're not going to go and put together some 10 game winning streak. At some point, the Braves were going to lose again. It's only jarring because the Braves now have dropped back to a game out of first place. 
and they're now all of a sudden into third in the standings because the Mets have put together a little two-game win streak, but they were playing the Nationals, and they're about to start a series with the Dodgers. Extremely tough schedule for the Mets and the Phillies over the next little bit, whereas the Braves are getting series against the Nationals and the Marlins over the next six games. So jarring in the sense like, oh yeah, we still could blow this thing, and it's a reminder of that, but that also could be a good thing for the Braves to say, hey, we got to put our feet back on the gas. we got to go out here and take it, take care of business here on the road against the Nationals and the Marlins. If they do that, I think over the next six games, after you know six games from now, when you're looking at the Phillies and the series that they're in with the Reds and you're talking about the Mets and the series that they're in with the Dodgers, I think six games from now, you're going to see the Braves in first place. The question is, how big is that lead? They need to maximize this advantage of getting to play the likes of the Washington Nationals and the Miami Marlins because later on in the month, they got to play the Giants, they got to play the Dodgers, they got to play the Padres. It gets tough for the Braves later in August. They need to take advantage of this now. Jarring because you slipped to third, but there's still a positive spin on this. It's not like, okay, they didn't sweep the Reds, whatever. They still took two out of three. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Last blank here before we go to break. Fill in the blank Friday. This was a question on yesterday's show, and and I want to touch on this a little bit more. Blank is the closest to winning a national championship at Auburn. Insert sport here. I will say Auburn basketball is the closest to winning a national championship. Um, You could say equestrian. Sure, that's fine. But I'm going to focus here on the big-time sports between football, basketball, and baseball. And I'm going to say basketball, Bruce Pearl and co., are the closest to winning a national title at Auburn. They're recruiting uh, top 10 in the country. They're they are, uh, putting out NBA products on the, uh, the court. They've got draft picks uh, coming in and out of the program consistently now. I mean, Bruce Pearl has ele- elevated this program to a place where I don't think any Auburn basketball fan could have thought it could have possibly gone seven or eight years ago. I mean, we are just an, in a completely different playing field right now, and we're tr- uh, Bruce Pearl's trying to establish Auburn as one of the premier programs in all of college basketball. I think you give him a few more years, he's able to do that, and if Auburn is able to, uh, to get some team chemistry going with some of the guys that are currently on campus, I could see them doing it within the next couple of seasons. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think that there's a lot of opportunity for it. It's a really difficult question because basketball is going to, on a year in and year out basis, be at a talent level in which that you can justify projecting this team as like, oh, hey, these guys are going to be in contention at the end of the year. They could go on a run, get to the point. I, it, it isn't even going to be called a run anymore because run kind of implies that you are an underdog. Run implies that maybe you weren't expected to get there. It, it, there's going to be an expectation that this team can go three, four games deep in every single postseason with the talent level that they're bringing in. There's going to be that expectation that you should see them on the second weekend at least. But they're going to have the talent level to be in the mix of, of the top 16, top 12 teams in the country that can legitimately win a national championship in basketball. So the talent is a lot closer when you talk about basketball compared to football. But in terms of degree of difficulty of winning a national championship in their respective sports, it's far more difficult in basketball than it is in football. Right now, there's just a four-team playoff in football. <laughs> you know, In basketball, there's a 68-team playoff for them to go and win it. So this is a really difficult question for me. Because I could see the stars aligning for Auburn football just because like, there's no way to predict what's going to happen next year in the transfer portal. There's no way to predict who's going to come to Auburn next year, right, or, or what could happen this year. Auburn football is one of the most unpredictable things. And you never know when the stars are going to align for them to go out there and win one. So like, with Auburn, it's just such a unique thing. If this was any other school, I'd say basketball, hands down. So I, I'll still go with basketball as my answer, but I think it's a lot closer than maybe some folks out there would give it credit for. Sure. 
right, well, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll wrap up the Friday Friday edition of the show. It's the line as well as the week line in the books. We got about three minutes left in today's show. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Of course, our normal Friday guest, Christian Clemente, not with us on the show today, but he did leave me with some interesting recruiting bits. So these from Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com and some positive recruiting news, possibly on the trail coming up for Auburn when you talk about wide receiver in class of 2023, wide receiver out of Hewitt Trustful, Amari Kelly, saying it looks pretty good for AU. There you go. There you go. And then some uh, other positive recruiting news. I don't know if uh, Christian uh, talked to you at all about this, but Auburn got another crystal ball for five-star shooting guard Zion Cruz. That uh, decision coming August 19th, and then Amari Kelly also committing August 19th as well. Uh, Just a a few days from now could be a really big uh, day for Auburn uh, in a lot of different sports in terms of recruiting. Excuse me, amend what I said. I said class of 2023. That was uh, that was a slip there. Amari Kelly, class of 2022, athlete, six foot two, 180 pounds, ranked as the number 13 player in the state of Alabama, number 18 player uh, in the country according to 24/7 Sports, number 339 player nationally, uh, four star recruit there once again out of Hewitt Trustful, Trustful, Alabama. Amari Kelly, and then another recruiting tidbit that he left with me on the basketball side of things. And we've talked about this a bit with point guard Trey Donaldson now listed currently as a three-star on rivals, but he's saying it looks really good for Auburn to get Trey Donaldson coming up the six foot two, 188 pound point guard out of Tallahassee, Florida. I believe he's a two sport athlete playing football as well. I think he plays safety possibly on, uh, on, on in football, but I think he's, possibly now turning more to basketball and Christian Clemente last week had talked about him or or at least in the last couple weeks, he's talked about him as a guy who can really shoot up the rankings because he's really putting more of a focus on basketball now. And he is beginning to climb a bit ranked right now outside the top 100, but you would not be shocked if he ends up inside the top 100 and gets that fourth star. Yeah, absolutely. Auburn's got him on on their sides. Absolutely. As a safety, he's rated as a four star on 24 seven sports and he's a three star, like you mentioned uh, in basketball. But, uh, yeah, he's also committing August 19th. So August 19th could be a huge recruiting day for Auburn. See, how far away is August 19th? Today's August 13th, so you got about a week. You're looking at next Thursday for a lot of these commitments, and uh, that's also subsequently the start of high school football season for a lot of guys. Another fun edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you next week. So long, everybody.